0: So Money Episode eight ninety four Sophia Parsa, entrepreneur and director of community at Fab Fun.
1: You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a thirty minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. My relationship with money is money comes, money goes. It's not, it's not, um, for me, it's not the point of success. Like it's important for me to be financially stable and it's important for me to be, you know, making a lot of money, but it's not what I consider personal success.
0: We are in conversation with Sophia Parsa. She is a tech co-founder, Forbes 30 Under 30 honoree, and a very accomplished entrepreneur. She co-founded the company Toot, which is an on-demand tutoring service, after her tutor bailed on her the night before a big exam in college. So at 11 o'clock at night before the test... She found a new tutor thanks to the help of a professor, but then realized there's probably a better way to connect with tutors on demand. And the idea for Toot was born. Later, Sophia launched a dinner club called Mountain Gate where entrepreneurs gather for dinner. And through Mountain Gate, entrepreneurs can get advice. They can form business partnerships and just connect with people who are like-minded. Today, Sophia is the director of community at Fab Fit Fun. You may have heard of it a sponsor of this show occasionally. Uh, FabFitFund is a subscription box that delivers a selection of full-size premium products to your front door. And we discussed Sophia's transition to working for a company and why it was important for her professional development. We also dive deep into the growing pains of the early days of entrepreneurship, how to score some investment capital, and what she plans to do with her money right now. Here's Sophia Parsa. Sophia Parsa, welcome to So Money. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. We were connected through a mutual friend, our friend Artin. Shout out to Artin who has been on this podcast. He's a superstar investor out in Los Angeles, super connector. And he's like, Farnush, you have to talk to Sophia for a lot of reasons. I think you would just get along on like a personal level, but you're both kind of running on the same DNA engine (laughs) (laughs) insofar as which I I found to be extremely flattering because I I see everything that you've accomplished. And um, you're definitely someone that I would – describe as motivated, ambitious in the best possible way, A Forbes, you know, 30 under 30 honoree, multiple startup founder, community
1: builder, go getter. Where do you get your drive? I was going to say our team. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, no, but shout out to our team for sure. He's really someone that I look up to and has accomplished so much with his age. So I'm, I'm flattered that he connected us, but to answer your question, um, I think I, in some ways, I, I'm i not sure if I was born with it, but I was raised in a household that really found importance in entrepreneurship. So uh, my father was a tech founder um, at a very early age. And I say this story all the time, but it's really something that I think people resonate with or they're like, "Ah, oh, I should do this. Um, my dad gave me a business card. I think it was like five. <laughs> and it was the VP of his oh company on the card. My and. Gosh. I used to sit in a lot of his business meetings, um, and take notes and he just, and, and, you know, notes would be just drawings and weird doodles, but, um, he really loved bringing me to all the conferences. Like I went to CES every year with him. Um, he brought me into a lot of his meetings. I went to work with him almost every day growing up, like, you know, my earlier before school. Um, so I think it was drawn from him. (laughs)
0: That's really sweet. I'm trying to think like what a business card today. I have a four year old, but like back then, business cards were legit. Like everybody had a business card who was somebody. Now, like, what do we do? Like you say, Google me or go on LinkedIn. But that's such a great novelty. I'm thinking of maybe making that for my kids because they really do look at what you're doing and try to emulate you. So to bring them into that is is such a natural engagement. And so that was your first foray into the world of business. And what, what what do you think it was about it that you really hung on to? What What do you love most about enterprising? Because you're really enterprising.
1: I mean, I think the thing that made me hang on to it the most was like this idea of like, oh, I too can, I can be a leader. And I watched my dad. He had a team of almost 500 people in his office. Um, in Irvine in the nineties. Right. And I just, I looked at this as like, it was almost naive. I thought everyone owned a business. I thought everyone was doing this. And of course that's not true, right? You have business owners, you have people who go and and fight for their dream. But in my mind as a child, I was like, Oh, I, I, everyone can have a business. I can have this. And it, it set me up for definite success. And it set me up for this idea of where even in school, like in any leadership opportunity that I could see, I took, I took it, I ran for it.
0: You don't have that, that fear, that fear variable. Even before we were recording, you're not working, you're working for a FabFit fund now. We'll talk about that transition is from going from like entrepreneur to employee, but you realize this is just temporary for you and that you're all used you, to use your words. I'm going to probably start something on my own again. Not a lot of people go through life thinking that way, because I think fear stops us. Like there's a lot of uncertainty with starting a business. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of conditioning that um we somehow get in our heads that it, you're going to be set up to fail. What, you, do
1: you have that chip in your brain? I think everyone has like the slightest, right? It's not, I, I'm not, I'm not delusional, right? (laughs) Like I understand failure and I, and I, of (laughs) course, in some ways have a fear of failing. And in many times I've looked at my past and say, told myself, did I fail here? Did I fail there? I mean, you know, get in my head a little bit, but I have such a great support system and people who really cheer me on and, you know, um, people who reach out to me and say, I want, I have so much I could learn from you. You These, these are reminders for me that like, I can keep this going. I can keep doing it. And in the end, like, what's the worst that can happen? Right. What's the worst? Can that, Well, I mean, for some people
0: who have st- things at stake, it could be, you know, money. It could be uh, sure. reputation. So, how do you take calculated risks? I guess that's a good, a good sort of tangent to this. Is like when you're assessing. Okay, I'm going to start this company, or I'm going to do this. How do you manage risk?
1: It's <laughs> a funny question for me because. I started my companies really young. So I don't think I did a great job at managing that. I just said, I'm going to start this, right? And this needs to exist in the world. And therefore, I need to start it. So, um, and then once you're in it, once you're in the trenches, like now you've committed, right? And so now I have to see this through. So I'd say, like in anything that I've, you know, taken on, um, whether it's starting uh, my dinner series, Mountain Gate, or starting to my um, startup it was always kind of like, this needs to exist. I'm going to start it. And I didn't really, I didn't calculate the fear. Uh, mm. Sorry. I didn't calculate the risk behind it because I always thought, you know what? I'm, I'm someone who can figure it out. Right. Mm. And either in, in the toughest situations, I've somehow made it out. And so I think I have it in me to continue to do this. It's more of like a, a gut thing. That's how I, that's how I calculate mm. my risk. And it's not really, unfortunately, like I'm not very, data-driven. I'm more like what feels right. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go through your resume.
0: So the one of the first things you started was, we, I think you were still in college, named Toot, which is a tutoring service, like an on-demand tutoring service. You've taken that
1: pretty far. Um, not bad it? for your first venture. Today, um, Toot is still running. It's, it's We're based out of um, science. It's an incubator in Santa Monica. They're best well known for like Dollar Shave Club and Dog Vacay and several other really successful businesses. Uh, We joined them about a year and a half ago. And at the same time, we had our uh, big fundraise, which was um, an investment from one of the largest education funds in in the U.S. It's actually based out of New York called Rethink Education. Um, And my co-founder today has taken over. You know, we're just we're trying to change the way students learn and the way students um, face the most difficult homework problems. Mm. Um, And so that that's kind of where it is today. And he's continuing to build it off. I'm honestly over these last four months have sort of taken a large step back and focusing on what I wanted to do next. Um, But him and I actually scheduled to meet up next week now that I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) And where you're going next right now, you're at. FabFitFun, which is actually uh, sometimes a sponsor of this podcast, coincidence that you came on this show, um, learning this because this is a pretty recent development. And so, I'm—I think we'd all be curious to know what motivated you to move from the startup life, entrepreneur life, to actually working within a com- within an organization. And I understand at FabFitFun, you're in charge of community building. So, tell us about the new role and why you wanted to make the transition
1: the one thing that I learned towards the end of my career at Toot was, I love what I'm doing, but I'm not sure that I'm adding enough value. And it probably comes down to the level of passion I have for the space. Um, And uh, at the same time, I built uh, my dinner series, Mountain Gate, which led me to actually understand that my passion was community building. And so um, I had the opportunity to actually go and, and build Mountain Gate full time. My worry was that I might ruin the authenticity because when you build community, it's really tough. It's, it's a really fragile thing. You know, if you push too much business into it, sometimes people run in the other direction because we all are really just looking for like human connection and not necessarily another way for you to profit off me in, in the world of like community building. So, um, you know, I, I with that and then I said, it's probably not the right time to do this. Right. I, as I, I looked at the, the landscape of like what I've built, and so I looked at other opportunities in investing, I'm um, like in the VC world. And this happened to come up as I went to one of our first early investors um, into in who happens to be one of the founders of Fat Fit Fund. And I said, you know, I think I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to step down and I'm trying to figure out what's out there for me and kind of asked him for his advice. And he said, well, what are you interested in? And, I, and the first thing that came out of my, mu- my mouth was community building. And he said, well, that's really good to know. I think we're actually developing um, a role right now for someone to come to ThoughtBibun and direct community. Um, So I I came over and I spent six hours with um, my boss, David, who it's so crazy to say I have a boss. (laughs) Um, My boss, David, who, you know, we spent close to six hours on where the community is today, the possibilities. And I just got so excited. It was like almost the feeling of when you're about to start your own thing, like your own company, which is this kind of like out of body experience where you're like, "Oh, then you could do this and that and we can do this." And I just I knew that this was the moment where um where I'm probably going to be best suited for now. Um I I also, you know, I thought about am I ready? Am I physically ready to just go through that process again of like the fundraising and and building a team and really leading properly and and actually, really, more than anything, the stress of making sure that everything's afloat on top of like my daily business, and so the answer to that was maybe not yet, right, maybe not just right now and and I didn't want to take money from people that I really care about and people who would eventually care about as um they invested in me without that that being at a hundred percent um so decided to take the role at FabFitFun. I'm really happy that I'm here. It's This is my second week. Um, um, And my job right now is like, how do we take the membership base that we've built and really create an experience for them that's outside of just delivering a box, whether that's in person or online?
0: I was really surprised to hear all of the verticals that FabFitFun is going into or has been going into. Like, Can you go through them for us a little bit? Because it really does blow my mind. Like I think of them as more of this just sort of monthly subscription, wonderful way to kind of, you know, get access to beautiful designs and, you know, fashion and, and all sorts
1: of things, but they've got a lot of different, a lot of different verticals. They do. So, um, you know, I'll I'll talk about the things that we can talk about right now, which is, um, they have pop fun style and it's their take on call like a stitch fix. Um, it's doing really well, such cool, such cool fashion, um, Kendra, who runs it, is really admirable. She's one of like... She's like a boss lady, really. Um, and she's taken that department and kind of built it from the ground up. Um, so we have style. We have FabFitFun TV. Um, we have, of course, the boxes. The community is becoming something that's really important. And, and how do we um, develop that? And then um, outside of that, there's in between. We have like edit sales and, and opportunities for people who love FabFitFun fun Um, To participate in sales in between the boxes.
0: Now, I want to talk about Mountain Gate because this is another venture that you started, really more as as uh, an alignment with your passion to build communities. This was is still a dinner series, six thousand people wide. How did you get the idea for this? And it kind of sounds like, from what I've read, it sort of took on a life of its own before you could Mm -hmm. even figure out what it was that you were doing
1: you know, when they tell you that the best businesses just kind of happen and you know, like you have no control over it. Um, I, this was exactly the case for mountain gate. Um, you know, in the beginning days of toot, I, I felt like there were many times where I was kind of like, this isn't working. How do we make this work? Whereas mountain gate just had a life of its own and it went for it. So, um, I started the dinners because I was in the middle of pivoting toot um, and I had just taken on some investments. So it was really important to me not to lose my investors' money and to really spend time with people who understand what it means to build a company, whether they're seed stage or you know they've sold their company, you name it. I just wanted to surround myself with really entrepreneurial and creative people who could help me face the challenges that I was facing. And I was really looking for guidance through my pivot. So I invited 20 founders to my home um, in Mountain Gate, which is Los Angeles. And I just, you know, didn't have much, they didn't really have any expectations outside of maybe we gather around this table and and exchange challenges. Now, (laughs) I didn't realize this, but I, I made my invite on Facebook shareable. So this invite got shared and 60 founders showed up to the dinner. Whoa. It was clearly a need. Um, it, it, people were obviously looking for this type of community, trusted community where they could share their challenges and not be afraid. Um, and so, you know, and it, and it also helped that it was at my home. It felt more private. It felt less networky. Um, so my mom, who's Persian and almost lost it when she realized we didn't have enough catering, started <laughs> cooking, <laughs> started cooking for the entire group of people and the the direction of dinner kind of shifted to like, let's just all hang out and have really good, a really good home cooked meal. Uh, but people really found valuable relationships through that that they connected with later and it brought things like partnerships, investment, uh, roommates, best friend. I mean, you kind of name it. It's come out of the dinner. And um I created a Facebook forum because I wanted everyone to stay connected and I didn't really want to be that point of connection at the time. I was like, I'm building a company, like I don't really have time to be connecting everyone, and um, and so I created this private Facebook form um, called Mountain Gate, for lack of a better name, it's just the gated community that we started the dinner out of, and it just went from you know it being in person and everyone exchanging information to it going online, and now people are asking for services, who's the lawyer that I should be using, what you know um what management tools softwares is everyone using what are you su- tons of suggestions basically um and someone posted ones the next dinner on there and i just kept it going <laughs> and it's been 3 years
0: that's incredible so what's the business behind it is there a business behind it
1: not not right now and that you know that goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier which is was i ready to make it a business call it like a membership right? And, and I didn't want to ruin the authenticity of what we built. So it's just a ticketed event. And we're looking at different things now, like sponsors, and how can I make it more elevated without having to ask our members for more than they're already doing?
0: Yeah, I think sponsors would love to get in front of these founders, mm-hmm. these influential people. <laughs> Seems like exactly. a no brainer. So obviously, you have done so well as an entrepreneur, I, I want to now shift to money because they're Linked, and I wonder how your relationship with money and your perspectives on money are in comparison to your perspectives on leadership and entrepreneurship. Did you always feel as
1: confident about money as you did about, you know, starting big things? Uh, No, it's actually money is a funny topic for me because I grew up in LA and, you know, I'm really blessed. Like, I my dad did everything for us and he really gave us a life that. I know most people dream of, and, and money's a funny thing to me because I've watched it come and go, especially watching my dad as an entrepreneur, you know, there are ups and downs and he always, I never realized, I I guess until I started my first company, I didn't realize when he was going through the ups and downs, um, while they were happening. So my relationship with money is money comes money goes. It's not, it's not, um, for me, it's not the point of success. Like I, it's important for me to be financially stable and it's important for me to be, you know, making a lot of money, but it's not what I consider personal success. Um, just because I, I watching it from the lens of my upbringing, um, you know, I watch things go up and I watch things go down. So today, like, you know, what's most important to me, of course, like saving and, and, you know, my 401k is really important to me, which is a nice thing. You have one now. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, I had one at the, uh, at the end of two. And then I realized like, do I really want to let that go? <laughs> no, um, you don't, you know, we, I don't. Yeah. So there's things that I, as an entrepreneur, I wasn't really thinking about being financially stable in the right now, uh, because I was super focused on building the company and saying the financial success comes later, right. As like you sell your company or as whatever, you know, however your lifeline is. Um, Now it's very different. Now I'm, I'm like all about how do I make sure that I can continue to do what I want and feel really safe and secure in my everyday life, but still make risks that will, you know, um, kind of like connect this, this lifestyle that I'm living today.
0: Do you have a memory growing up that like you had a memory about entrepreneurship as a kid or rather like business at five. That's exceptional. Do you, did you have a memory about money and either maybe like what money is or what money represents
1: or how it makes you feel at a young age that has stayed with you? Actually, I was just talking, (laughs) talking about this with a friend of mine. It was, we went shopping and we, you know, we realized we were spending a little bit of money and and she brought up to me, remember that time that we went to our parents and we said, we need $100 because we really want this shirt. And at the time we looked at that and we were like, can we ask our parents for $100 for a shirt? Like that seems really crazy. It seems really ridiculous. And then in the end we said, actually, we don't want that. And we felt really bad about paying $100 for a t-shirt. And, um, that to me is like one of, uh, one of the most recent memories I have of like, really understand. I, I always kind of understood the value of a dollar, but until I started working for it, did I really understand like, wow, I probably, you know, all those things that I bought when I was younger, I probably shouldn't have, I probably should have laid yeah. off it. And sometimes I even joke about my college degree. I'm like, did I really need that? <laughs> well, I, so a couple of
0: thoughts. Yeah. The pain of, of, of leaving, of parting with money doesn't quite hit until it's yours. Right. Right? Until it's like you're coming out of your paycheck. And then, um is college worth it? That's a really interesting point. I actually interviewed a guest recently. We we were talking about college and he's a bit of a contrarian and I was like, "So what do you think about college?" Cuz he doesn't think for example, home ownership is really worth it, blah blah blah. He's like, "Actually, college is worth it because they've done the studies. People with a college degree versus people without a college degree over their lifetime will earn an extra million dollars in earnings." Now, that obviously is like in a vacuum without student loans and all of that, but I think net, net, it's probably on average worth it. Um, But um, speaking of college, when you were graduating from school, this is a question that we're asking our guests with graduation season upon us and our sponsor is Chase. And we want to know what was the one bit of financial advice, Sophia, that you wish you had gotten right out of college, something that would have really helped you in those early years?
1: Just to put aside like $100, like literally just yeah just put it away literally just put instead of like taking that lunch just put it away like sometimes I'd go I I think um the biggest advice well well, that's one the second is like as I got out of college I thought why didn't I go to a public school Uh, why did I choose private right and and so there there are a couple thoughts on that but I think the most important was like I should have started putting away money a lot earlier than I and then I did
0: And when did that really become, when did that start to hurt? Because I think we have moments where, I don't know, like this year I got a pretty big tax bill or um, other times when you're like, oh, I wish I had more money in the bank because then I could have like afforded a down payment more readily or whatever. So was there a moment where you really felt the pain of not having more in the bank?
1: Yeah, when I was uh, starting to, because I knew that from the get go, I needed to go get like 50K or so from family and friends or whoever I could find it from, um, to be able to build the tech, to, to be able to build the technology. So, you know, had I saved some money then I probably wouldn't have had to have done that so early on in the business. And I think that's really important. Um, and even now as I'm at my role today, I'm like thinking about how do I save so that in case, like I want to make the jump at some point, um, to, to build my next business that I don't feel like I need to just raise funding because like, how do I stay afloat? Right. And like, really think about having that extra, uh, the extra finances to say, I'm going to, you know, give up the paycheck, but I'm not going to feel super stressed out about it.
0: Well, how do you go about raising money? What are your top tips? Um, As someone who has done it, as someone who probably now is on the, sort of the asking end, people might call yourself an investor. And so, Advice, especially for women, because so few women get the VC dollars, and part of that is, I think, well, you can tell me, but I think it's partly discrimination, discrimination, but also women maybe not having the confidence or or even feeling supported in that role in that kind of world. Um, a lot of these boardrooms are made of men, so it's intimidating. But what's your um, advice for women and everyone really who wants to ask for a round?
1: so i would say like unfortunately at a young age i was conditioned to being in that boardroom as i mentioned like i i did go to all these meetings with my dad and they tended like they were all men especially like talk about their 90s right so um i never because of that i actually never looked at it as like i'm in a room with just men i just looked at it as like i'm in a room this is a meeting um and so i never had this fear of like i'm i'm the woman in this room i kind of just said i'm this person in this room and my thoughts are equally as important as the other so um i didn't have that fear of like i am a female founder but um i think the most important thing my top two important things especially with early funding like raising your first check story is really important like the storytelling of it because if you're really clear about your story then you're really confident about what you're probably building. Um, and, and people can feel that like when your story's kind of all over the place or you don't have a really compelling story, you're less likely to get the interest of the person that you're talking to. And I think it's just with every conversation in general, it's like, how do you treat, uh, the conversation where you really want someone to be listening to every word that you're saying? And it's creating that story that, that they can resonate with, or, um, that's just compelling. Um, and my second is building real relationships with the person that you're talking to. And I know that's really hard to say because some it's hard to make some relationships, but we, one of my largest checks came from just a breakfast in New York where I almost missed this breakfast. Like I, and I didn't expect it to be what it became, but, um, it was a Saturday. I was out there for actually for leisure, not even for work. Um, someone mentioned that I should meet with this investor in the education space. I sat with him, the first like 20 minutes i felt like this is not going well we are not jiving <laughs> we are not jiving like this is just not i know this is like a waste of my saturday and and probably his too and as we got through this like hump of the first 20 30 minutes that like awkward 20 we ended up having a 3 hour breakfast about our thoughts about entrepreneurship, our thoughts about the education space. And we, we were actually really aligned in a lot of the things that we thought about. And we barely even touched on the company. We only touched on the company in the last like 10 minutes. And then we said, we should probably follow up on this. Um, and in about a week later, he emailed me and he said, you know, I think you're an authentic entrepreneur and I think you're going to do everything you can to make this work. And so, um, you know, we'd like to have a second conversation with you, and we think you're ready for fundraising now. I also at the table told him that I'm not fundraising currently, and and sometimes that seems to work. <laughs> so um, those are probably my two biggest advices: like really the storytelling and also building the relationship. Lastly, the most important, of course, like know your numbers, know you know know the the questions that are every investor asks. That
0: is really good to know. I mean, I, I thought – I was thinking as you were saying, I'm like, well, what about the deck? What about the financials? But I guess that goes without saying, but I'm glad you said it anyway. But yeah, the first two being um, focused on your story and being clear around that. And then also, I, I cannot um, agree more with the power in someone just believing in you, right? Right. Like knowing your work, knowing your work ethic and – of course, the idea is strong, but it's also who's behind it. So if they believe in you, that is huge. That's a huge variable.
1: It is because, you know, when it, if there's lots of ups and downs in building the company, you're doing this effectively together. and You don't want that person to be like, Ugh, like, I, I, I doubt it. <laughs> I, I should have looked into more of like who you are as a person. Like, should it shouldn't have been blinded by the company? Because like, in, in my stage, it's super early. And so who do you really have to look to, it's the person in front of you. And, and even in my investing, like I'm really only investing in early stage, my check is only valuable to the early stage entrepreneur. Um, and so that's kind of like, I'm, I'm really talking about early stage investing and this is not like your late stage or even a investment. This is right. truly seed. like your first check. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Friends and family. Right. And even, I mean, he was not a friend or family, right? It was just, <laughs> but he's just a, a really eager breakfast date. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's like institutional but seed, right? What
0: is your financial plan for the next few years? Is now you're an employee, you have that 401k again. Um, you know, you talked earlier about maybe also wishing that you had saved more in your early years. So what is what are some of your financial goals, I guess, in the coming years?
1: So I hope that these investments that I made actually <laughs> come to fruition and like I get to see like some success in it. I, I invested in Um, now my 10th company and I'm just looking forward to hopefully seeing some upside. Those are the risks that I'm taking right now. Um, and then as far as like personally with what I'm doing over here, my goal is like, you know, how do I get to the next level and how do I really build like this, this cushion for myself that I, I've never really focused on in my entire life, which is like a real salary with true savings and like really investing those savings properly and not like and this is separate from my angel investments. Like those are really risks. Those are gambles. I would say like those are yeah. checks that I'm risking, but um, with my personal finances, like how do I create um this like cushion to be able to travel as I want to be able to help, you know, if um, whatever comes up, you, you never know. Like if something comes up, it's almost like my emergency cash, right? That's yeah. what I'm focused on building that like safety net. Um, and you know, get towards like real, uh, it's funny. I I toy with the idea is like, should you own a house or not as well? Um, but I, I think it's important to own some piece of property. And I think that's like my next major goal. And you're in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, where it's not cheap. <laughs> no, I'm
0: heading there soon. Sophia, you've been so wonderful to to chat with. I'm so glad we got a chance to have this time and for all of us to learn more about your background and your perspectives on taking risks and starting businesses and managing money. We admire you very, very much. And so thank you. And, and please, we'd love to can reconnect as as things evolve, you know. I'm sure this time next year, lots more to talk about. I'd love that. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. You can follow Sophia on Instagram at Sophia Parsa, also her business at Mountain Gate both on Instagram. Thanks so much, to Sophia for stopping by. If you'd like to listen to this episode again and share it, you can go to somoneypodcast.com. And you can also click on Ask Farnoosh while you're there and send me your question for our Friday episodes. Also, let me know if you'd like to co-host. And speaking of Instagram, are you following me on Instagram? A lot of fun stuff happening over there not to mention answering your money questions. So head over to Instagram. I'm at Farnoosh Tarabi. And uh, let me know what's on your money mind. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money.